0: I was working as a personal trainer. We were doing like an open house thing. And my boss was like, look, you do martial arts. Can you do a um, a demonstration? And I had two of my friends who were also martial arts. So I was like, Yeah, we'll like we'll do family day. And so I said, Yeah, no problem. It was in my silk uniform. Great. We were outside and I'm waiting to go on. And somebody just taps me on the shoulder. And I'm ready to go on. And I turn around and I go, What are you? And it's Bill Clinton in Chappaqua. And I go what then? He goes, what are you wearing? What are you getting ready to do? And I just look at him, I go, I'm about to do some martial arts. And he's like, oh, I I love your uniform. He's like, is it traditional? And I'm looking at him like, "Uh, yeah. He's like, can I stay and watch you?
1: That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with author of the fantasy novel, Birth of the Fae, Locked Out of Heaven, Danielle Orsino. Danielle is also a world champion martial artist, actor, and a registered nurse. Danielle shares about her fascinating experiences performing martial arts for the President of the United States, cosplaying as Wonder Woman, and writing her novel. Danielle is talented, thoughtful, creative, and I'm so excited to share our conversation. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show podcast, Danielle Arcino. How are you doing this evening?
0: Good. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much. Um, well, Danielle, I'm really excited to have you on. As I was saying before we started recording, even uh, you're an, an author, and uh, the the book that you had to come out last year, uh, "Birth of the Fae, locked out of heaven, um, a fantasy book, but but has some unique angles to it that I, I definitely want to talk about. Um, but beyond that, I, I have to say, in in doing a little bit of research about you. You just have a a really, really, um, robust (laughs) and interesting, Mm -hmm. uh, career of, of work. That's not all tied to writing. Um, you're, you've got a a degree, uh, and, and became a nurse, ultimately a special interest in Lyme disease. You're a lifelong martial artist. Um, and then obviously now a a published author. So definitely a unique path, uh, (laughs) to this, but that's so cool. Um, so I, I kind of want to I, I obviously we want to talk about the book, but I also want to understand, you know, your your journey as well. So um, as a as a kid, did you did you have in the back of your mind that you're going to be a writer? Like when you're going to nursing school, are you also like, oh secretly I'm going to be an author or (laughs) how did that unfold? (laughs) No, not
0: at all. Um, Growing up, I wanted to be Wonder Woman like every little girl does. I think, Um, you know, that was like, there are actually essays my father laughs that are where I'm like, no, I'm going to be Wonder Woman. That's really what I wanted to do. Uh, He said that there's one like paragraph I wrote when I was in second grade that said I wanted to be a writer, but literally the next week. It was, I wanna be Wonder Woman. So, (laughs) you know, my only consistency was I wanna be Wonder Woman. That was probably the only thing um, growing up that I was ever consistent about was I was gonna be a superhero one day. And um, that that was it. It was funny when I graduated nursing school, you know, everybody has to wear the same uniform. And I went to my teacher and I said, okay, what if I design my own dress? And she was like, look, as long as it fits the nursing school standard, we're good. And I designed it based off of when Wonder Woman was a nurse. Oh, cool. And that's what I wore. And I showed it to her and she, and then I pulled the comic out and I was like, see, ha ha. <laughs> you know, my teacher was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, so it was always a Wonder Woman influence above and beyond everything. Uh, so, you know, did I want to be a writer? Did I ever think I was going to be a writer? I wrote um, a paper while I was in nursing school on multiple sclerosis. So that was as close as I was getting to mm-hmm. writing, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, but did I think one day, no, I'm going to sit down and pen a, you know, a fantasy novel. Heck no. <laughs> I never thought I was going to wind up here in a million years. No, I didn't, you know, I totally didn't think so. Uh, it was just, it just kind of happened once again, it was born from nursing. It was born from a patient yeah. who just needed a distraction while he was undergoing a, IV treatment for Lyme disease. So nursing, you know, still played a part in it, but you no, know, I, I didn't sit down in the back of my head somewhere and think, haha, this will get me to, to writing one way or another. No, that right. was just luck of the draw. But I think the universe was kind of moving and pushing me a little yeah. bit with that active imagination.
1: Well, so, uh, and like I mentioned before, you know, you're also a, a- a champion martial artist for for mm-hmm. over twenty years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, am I correct? I think I, I'd read this that you you ultimately maybe in the mid two thousands had an opportunity to work on a Wonder Woman project. Is that true?
0: Yes, I actually. It was kind of funny. I was um, I worked on a fan film, Wonder Woman, uh, Balance Power. And it was very weird. I was just, you know, I was kind of watching YouTube one day and there are a lot of fan films where people just create. At the time, we weren't getting what we see now, like the MCU and the DCEU. We're not, we weren't getting the comic book films with the exception of maybe Blade, which I kind of think kind of gave us that, that kickoff of um, comic book films, we weren't really getting anything from comic book geeks. Like we were waiting for something to happen uh, before Spider-Man and, and everything, you know, Tobey Maguire kind of gave, gave us finally that intro, uh, but we weren't getting it. So a lot of people were going out and making their own stuff. And I came upon, um, Red Cape Cinema had done this short Wonder Woman film. And it was maybe five minutes and I watched it and I was like, okay, it was good but I didn't like the fight scenes. And I just happened to write to them and was like, look, Wonder Woman so wouldn't fight like that. The girl, Michelle was great. Everything about it was good, but I just hated the fight scene. So I just said like, she totally wouldn't do that. And they wrote me back and were like, okay, well, how would she do it? And I'm like, "Um, this is how she would have done it. I did it, sent it in. And they were like, why don't you come out and um, work on the next one? We're doing like a 45 minute movie why don't you come out and choreograph it and i was like uh okay hopped on a plane and i got to work on it and i had an absolute ball working with them they they won some you know awards some cons and i was like this is really this was a blast i had a great time it was my first real time working on a fan film but i loved it and i was like yeah this is what i want to.' you know it's kind of like what i want to do on the side i got to see just how it was all into, you know, and I started working a little bit more choreography, but it was also my life when I'm a geek. So cosplaying and all that, that's that's my thing. That's my jam. So I got to work on it and had a great time. And you know, I was um at the time, I was doing more kung fu with uh Sifu Vincent Lin, who was I'd done movies with Cynthia Rothrock, um, Karen Parsons, uh Richard Grico, you know, a bunch of people. So he was like, yeah, I'll help you out with this. He's like, you know, when you're doing it, here's just some tips, some hints, and I got to work on it. So I had a ball.
1: Huh? That's awesome. And I mean, did it feel like, um, I don't know, Providence to some extent that here you're this lifelong Wonder Woman fan, and now you're getting to be involved in a Wonder Woman specific project?
0: It was really cool. I have to say, just anytime you see somebody come out in that uniform, it's pretty cool. Like even if (laughs) it's, you know, whoever is playing it, you know, there's a little piece of me at five foot one who's like, damn I want to do that but you're like okay realistically you know there's certain things I can do and there's like certain moments where I'm like okay it might not be that but yeah it's just it's just awesome to see any of that and just to see somebody do it. Michelle did a, a great job but yeah it was really cool and that's probably why I cosplay yeah because you know you get to wear the uniform I've done Wonder Woman I've done um Black Canary done Catwoman uh Batgirl Poison Ivy done a lot of you know a lot of characters but anytime you put on the wonder woman outfit you're just cool you know it doesn't (laughs) matter it's just you're just cool so i had a good time i've gotten to see linda carter in concert sing and i went totally dressed up as wonder woman thinking everybody will do this totally everybody will do it it's 150 people no one was dressed up at all (laughs) the only idiot in the entire concert hall dressed as wonder woman and it was like three days before halloween in new york city so i really thought oh they'll all come out yeah yeah Yeah, totally come out i walk in there i throw my cape off and i'm the only one (laughs) dressed up and i have everything on i've got the corset the headband all of it and i'm standing there in the middle of lincoln jazz center how you doing and i'm like no one here is dressed up like this. I was like, okay. So, and I'm sitting dead center. And about halfway through the concert, she stops it. Cause I see her like peering up, like looking. And then she's like, excuse me, turn up the house lights. And I'm like, okay. She's like, somebody here is dressed like me. And I'm thinking, thank God there's another idiot. (laughs) Thank God someone else. And she's like, stand up, sweetie. And I'm like, yeah, stand up. (laughs) And then my husband's like, She's talking to you. I'm like, "No, I can't get that lucky." And she literally pointed to me. She's like, "Stand up. You look beautiful." I started bawling like a little girl. Like a baby, and I was like, "The queen is talking to me." And right. she waved. She did a couple bracelet deflecting moves. She spun, and I was like, "Oh my god, my life is complete. <laughs> this is all I ever need in my life, and I'm good." Right. So, yeah, I've done geeky things like that all the time, but That's it's- awesome. Anytime you see Wonder Woman, you know,
2: it's right.
0: Like for me, I'm good.
1: Well, and so I also saw that you you've worked with with The Rock and mm-hmm. on, on a movie. So, are you do you do consulting for films for like action choreograph- choreography or how, what, what's your
0: involvement um, there? When I worked with The Rock, it was actually for the WWE's Super Bowl commercial when they did their first Super Bowl commercial. Okay. Um, and he was absolutely awesome. My instructor, sifu Lin, at the time was one of the head stunt uh stunt choreographers for the commercial and we were doing it where like the whole office the whole premise was that everybody who worked at the wwe was crazy but the wrestlers were the calm people
2: ah (laughs) so everybody was like
0: getting thrown in in conference rooms and and whatnot but the wrestlers were actually the you know the um the mentors, and they were like the pillars of calm and USA. So uh, the rock was actually part of it. And I annoyed him the entire time because we were playing video games. We're playing the arcade games. They have like a wall of all the arcade games. Mm. And I was sitting there while he's waiting to go and we're playing and I couldn't even fit next to him. (laughs) And I kept like hit elbowing him. Cause I was the smallest one there and I'm elbowing him and he's elbowing me. And we're both trying to play because we were waiting to go and we had nothing better to do. And I'm elbowing him. He's elbowing me. And then I just look at him. I'm like, do the eyebrow thing, please. And he would just turn to me and do it. And then he go back to playing the game. And then he just looked at me. He's like, God, you're small. He's like, can you really kick up to my head? And then we'd go back to playing the game waiting for the other one to go. And I got to work with China. Um, rest, God rest her soul. She yeah. was absolutely sweet. She held me up by the leg. Uh, that was like part of their idea. They were like, they started looking at me. She walked in and they were like, do you think you could just pick her up by her leg? And she's like, Kimmy, her jaw was wired shut. And she's like, come here, sweetie. She's talking through her teeth to me. <laughs> and I'm like, come here, sweetie. I was like, wait a minute. Sounds and terrifying. And she in in like jeans, a pink cardigan, her hair in a ponytail, sneakers. And she goes into wardrobe and like literally an hour and a half later comes out in the full China garb. Hmm. And I was like, Whoa, how you doing? And she's like, come here. And I'm like, come here, where? And she's like, and they like put me up on the, like the um, concierge desk. And she's just like, come here." and then she just picks me up by my ankle. Like I was nothing. And then she's like, I don't know if this is good for her. I'm like, yeah, no, this isn't good for me. Put me down, put me down. So it was, you know, it was awesome. I did that for a little bit. You know, whenever my instructor had work, he would throw it my way
3: mm-hmm.
0: and back and forth. Um, funny story he was actually handpicked by keanu reeves to be his stunt double in the matrix oh wow and my instructor turned it down because he was like oh i'd have to be away for two years and i don't think this movie's really good to do it." have you read the script like what is it about <laughs> and we made fun of him after that for the longest time because we were like like we would come in and we'd look at him and go what's the matrix about like after it had made all this money we were like <laughs> Gee, what's that movie about? What do you think? And he would just look at us and be like, shut up and walk away. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it.
1: Well, I think he's got I think Will Smith actually had the same thing because they originally yes. pitched Will Smith to be the star mm-hmm. or Keanu's role at least. And he yep. had the same sentiment. So
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Your instructor's so, yeah. not crazy.
0: <laughs> we laugh at Vincent now. We're just like, yeah, he'd come in and we'd be like, What's this? every time like we got the numbers in and it was number one again? We were like, Yeah, nobody'll ever get that movie. Yeah, no, it's not gonna do anything. Right. And he's like, shut up. I had to close school for two years. We were like, oh yeah, what money would you have made?
1: <laughs> well, so like I, you know, I just, I, the, all the stuff that you do is just so cool. I mean, the, the fact that you went in nursing is, is cool because it's like, you know, helping other people and it's really generous in that way. But then martial arts is like the other end of cool where it's like mm-hmm. badass cool or whatever. So what martial art d- did or, or do you train and, and how did you kind of get into that?
0: Uh, I started in Taekwondo ITF style, which is the original style of Taekwondo, not the Olympic style that you see. Um, I started in it pretty much. I'd like to tell you I had some cool like Daniel son, Mr. Miyagi moment. I do not. Uh, I wanted to go to New Orleans with my girlfriend, Jen. And my father was like, you're 18. I am not sending two girls down to New Orleans unaccompanied. He's like, that's just not happening. He's like, do I look stupid? Um, So he was like, yeah, go get your yellow belt in Taekwondo and you can go. He's like, sure. (laughs) Yeah, that'll happen. Okay, yeah. And I was like, all right. So my gym happened to have a Taekwondo school inside of it. So I walked in and my instructor, uh, Mr. McLaughlin, will last because he would tell this story all the time. I walked in in front of all the black belts wearing... Sweatpants rolled down with a sports bra on, chewing gum, and stood in front of all the black belts, my hand on my hip, and was probably the most annoying first-time student ever. (laughs) And he was just like, "Ah, who are you? I'm like, are you John? And I'm chewing my gum, snapping it, (laughs) blowing bubbles. And he was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm here for Taekwondo. And he was like, what? And he's like, yeah, the white belts stand down there. And I was like, yeah, I'm an adult. Those are kids. And he was like, and I could just see the veins popping and I'm still not getting it. And he just looked at me and he was like, can you do a push-up? And I was like, yeah, I do real push-ups, not girl push-ups. And he's like, really? And really all of this, as I look back, like there were so many signs to shut up, Danielle. Just shut up. And he, and it was a hardwood floor. And he said, Get on your knuckles and start doing push ups. And I did. And I did maybe four. And then he said, Hold it. Mm. And I held it. And he walked away from me and just walked away and started class. <laughs> and I'm like holding this push up. And every time I dropped, he's like, And it starts all over again. Get back up in the push up position. And I did. And he did this. About 10 minutes went by. And I start, I'm sweating, I'm shaking. And he walks over to me and he's like, Now, go to the bathroom, wipe the makeup off your face, get a t-shirt that covers your stomach, pull your hair back, spit your gum out, and come back when you're ready to learn. Mm. And I looked at him, I went, yeah. And he went, yeah. And I went, yes. And I'm looking around and I'm waiting for somebody to say and tell me like what I'm supposed to say. And I hear them saying, sir. So I was like, sir, you know? (laughs) And he's like, you can be taught. And he's like, you're either going to be my greatest accomplishment or one of us is leaving here in a body bag. I'm really not sure which one. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I went, did everything he said, came back. And I was hooked after that. I He couldn't believe I came back. He was literally like, he had money with his black belts. And he's like, that chick's never coming back in. Right. And I walked back in like five minutes later. I got a shirt from the front and they were just like, Yeah, she's not going to last. And then it was 10 years later and I was still with him. (laughs) And that's it. And then I I moved on to Kung Fu, Wushu. Wushu is what I competed for the world team, the U.S. team. But I went through different styles, but I was with him for 10 years.
1: That's awesome. So, I mean, and again, in reading a bit of your, your history, I mean, you've performed for Bill, president Bill Clinton when he was president. Is that is that true?
0: Um, he was out of the office. Uh, okay. He just left. But uh, it was very random when it happened. I was working as a personal trainer. We were doing like an open house thing. And my boss was like, look, you do martial arts. Can you do a um, a demonstration? And I had two of my friends who were also martial artists. So I was like, yeah, we'll, like, we'll do family day. And so I said, yeah, no problem. It was in my silk uniform. Great. Right? We were outside. And I'm waiting to go on. And somebody just taps me on the shoulder and I'm ready to go on. And I turn around and I go, what are you? And it's Bill Clinton in Chappaqua. <laughs> and I go, what then? He goes, what are you wearing? What are you getting ready to do? And I just look at him, I go, I'm about to do some martial arts. And he's like, oh, I, I love your uniform. He's like, is it traditional? And I'm looking at him like, uh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, can I stay and watch you? And I look at him, I'm like, uh, oh. Sure, and he's got Secret Service, he was out for a jog. And I was like, um, uh, sure. And he's like, where should I stand? And I'm like, you want a better view? And he's like, yeah. Took him over, showed him where to stand, Uh, introduced myself, and you know, we started talking, and I was like, and he was just so cool. I'm like, "What?" so I did my demo and everything, and I'm like, this council's performing for the president, right? And he's like, yes, it does. I'm like, awesome, dude. (laughs) I was like, and he's like, I'd love to train with you. And I'm like, "Um, yeah, you want to? Sure, okay. (laughs) Like, because I'm just so, like, what do I... Right. This is is so surreal. We're talking for a little bit, but then somebody at our facility did not pass the background check. We don't know who. But it was, like, it was pretty cool. And he stayed. He watched. He was cheering us. And, like, (laughs) but there's Clinton, like, just chilling. And, you know, he's got a secret service and... They were, like, trying to pull him, and he was like, yo, wait, I'm watching. Like, he was, and he's clapping along. You know, my friends were doing capoeira, and, you know, I'm doing my form. He's, like, just clapping, and I was like, this is so weird right now and random, but he was out for a dog.
1: Huh, that's awesome. Well, so the reason that I kind of wanted to, to go through these different some of these milestones um, that are are not tied directly to your book per se, but you you mentioned before, you know, whenever you went to that like the concert and and mm-hmm. the, the lady recognized you and or you know mm-hmm. turned the lights on for you and all that, that you felt you know incredibly lucky, but you've had a lot of um, moments certainly that that I think a lot of people would find pretty remarkable, but I'm curious. Do you, do you, do you view that as a result of luck? Because the other thing I hear you talking about is, I mean, yeah, you're performing martial arts for Bill Clinton, but you also trained at one school for 10 years, right? So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: what's your take on that? How much of your um, success do you attribute to luck versus you're, you know, putting the work in?
0: Uh, I think it's a mixture of both. I think it's discipline, obviously. Uh, You know, you have to, you have to love what you do. And I did, I do truly love martial arts. I still, I box now. I box with a phenomenal, phenomenal coach, Manny at Adlon Wolf Boxing. And I've been with him six years now. I, I stay with what I, what I love. I know what I like. I know what I'm good at. You know, I do try to kind of get past things that are make me uncomfortable, but I think a little bit of it is putting the work in. I, I also think part of it is taking risks. You know, showing up at a Linda Carter concert dressed up as your hero. Yeah, you know, part of that is luck, but part of it's also taking a risk and putting yourself out there. Right. And, you know, it's the same thing of going to, you know, I'm at a personal training facility where I told my boss, I want to teach martial arts. I want to add something new to your personal training that maybe people don't normally offer and then getting out there and demonstrating it that attracted clinton um i think like i said it's putting yourself out there which is partly ties into writing i mean when you write and you're an author you're putting yourself out there not everyone is going to love your book any author who says my books for everybody no that's not it (laughs) your book is not for every not everybody is going to love you that is a lie and a half that you are telling yourself and your audience
1: yeah oh sorry
0: no so I just don't you're putting yourself out there as the bottom line you have to be disciplined to keep doing it
1: mm-hmm. yeah and I think that's a really excellent point that you make I mean I, I don't I don't think that anyone is universally loved I mean maybe like Tom Hanks or something but like <laughs> yeah. uh, like broadly though anyone who's putting art out there even if it's massively popular and it's a household name there's someone that's like yeah that's not for me right like no matter how mega successful yeah. it is. So um, that's a, that's an, a, an excellent point. So yeah, to, to, you had mentioned this earlier and I'd read a little bit about it, but I'd like you to, to share the story and maybe elaborate a bit. The, the, the book here, Birth of the Fae, Locked Out of Heaven, obviously is a, a written novel, but it started, as you said, as kind of a, a story that you was, you were verbally telling to a, a patient on yes. IV treatment. Yes. So how did that unfold?
0: Uh, it, it's kind of funny. I was I worked at a for a doctor that treated Lyme disease in a very unorthodox manner, a very aggressive manner. The office was actually inside her home in her basement. She transformed transformed her home to her office, and I had a patient, and we were walking the same path. His first day was my first day. It was very kind of funny in that sense, Um, and so he was he basically transplanted his life from Pennsylvania to Westchester County in order to undergo this Lyme disease treatment because she, she made her patients drip a uh, half hour to two hours every day, seven days a week. You did oh. not miss a drip. So I worked the weekends, holidays, and then uh, Wednesdays. So I was there a lot, but you know, I was there even holidays. We dripped Christmas morning. I was there. Mm. You didn't miss. So this patient after about a year had been doing this every day. was finally like, look, I got to get back to my life. And so he had struck a deal with the doctor where he would drive five hours, drip for two, turn around and drive home, and then come back Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday morning, go home. That was his new deal with her. The doctor reluctantly was like, fine, if you think you can handle this, okay. So he did this for about three weeks. And after three weeks, he came to me on the side and he said, Danny, I I just can't, this was a bad idea. It's a bad idea. I can't do this. I'm done. And I said, look, you're at a critical point. You'll backslide. So he was sitting in the drip chair and he just said, then you better do something to entertain me because I can't do this anymore. He's Mm. like, I I don't care. Do something like, let's go sing. I don't care. (laughs) So I said, well, uh, tell me something interesting about yourself. Like, and he said, well, I was recruited by the CIA right out of college. And I'm like, oh, we could have found out what was in Roswell, you know, making up some jokes. So he said, no, it was for the trends and intentions division of the CIA, like the most boring division. And I'm like, oh, okay. well, we still could have found out like this, you know, making some (laughs) cryptid jokes, you know, trying anything. Right. And I said, well, you know where Lyme really came from? And he said, yeah, Plum Island. I went, no. And out of my mouth to this day, I don't know what made me say it. I said, the Fae. And he went, who? And I said, you know, fairies. Like, and he was like, no. And I said, oh, come on, a big CIA guy like yourself. I said, you're just here to know what I know about. And he went, "Okay, well, tell me more. Mm. So the story just started flowing. And out of it, I said, well, there are angels that didn't get. I said, some of them didn't get involved in the war between God and Lucifer. And some did. And so I started just telling him. And I kind of put him in the story as the CIA agent. And every time he sat down, I told him another piece of it but I would pull things that happened in the IV room and make it part of the story. So the doctor had a, um, a big Labrador retriever. And I made that the dragon. So, mm-hmm. the do- you know, the dog walked in, I was like, Oh, and the King had this big black dragon that, you know, followed him everywhere. And we would just kind of talk about it. Mm. And I just kind of orally just kept telling him the story to keep him intrigued, not thinking, Oh, one day I'm going to sit and write a story. Right. I- this was just do what I got to do. Keep this man happy and, you Mm -hmm. know, keep him entertained. So that's how the whole thing started. It was not like, I'm going to write a fantasy series. No, (laughs) not even remotely close. How long was
1: the time between when you're, you're telling this story to him in that period to when you actually sit down to write the book.
0: Oh, it was months, months and months and months. It wasn't, uh, I was on a path to become a physician assistant. I I was like, my life was set. I was finishing my, uh, my prereqs. I was starting the CASPA cycle of filling out my uh, forms, doing everything. I was actually already sitting for interviews. So there was no thought in my head at this point. Oh yes, I'm going to sit down and write this now. Not even close, right? Not even close. Um, I actually went into anaphylactic shock because of the needle stick. Oh, wow. And had an accident there and was told, by the way, uh, you're allergic to all the drugs you're working with. And then you're allergic to this entire drug class that we're using constantly. And I went, well, that's okay. Cause I'm going to PA school. I'm like, so I don't do bedside mixing. Like I'll, I'll get out of this, got into PA school. And when they looked at my, um, my physical called me and said, you're allergic to this drug class. And I went, yeah, but like, it's cool. And they went, no, 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 this is like a stop for us. Mm. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And when I talked to them, they said, we can't keep you safe. Like if there's a spill in the ER, there's a spill at somebody's bedside. They were like, you can't even inhale this. They said, you'll go in shock.
2: Hmm. And
0: I'm like, okay, so what does this mean exactly? And the allergist sat me down. He said, basically, you're a girl with a peanut allergy working in a peanut butter factory. Uh. And they were like, so no PA school for you. Hmm. And that's my patient who I'm still friends with. When I told him, he said, go write the book. I've been telling you
2: this, Mm. go
0: write the book. And I sat down and I went, I'm gonna keep trying. And I sat down, started writing the book, but I had gotten into another PA program that was trying to get around my allergies. And they were like, no, we think we can work around this. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm still going to school. I'm still going to school. But then when the book was due to come out, I got in the program, they were working it out. And then they said, well, if your book comes out while you're in school, they said, "Um, this is considered working. And I went, okay, but what does that have to do with it? And they said, we have a no work clause. We can actually kick you out.
2: Hmm.
0: And I'm like, even if my, I said, I'm not doing anything. And they said, it doesn't matter. You're in violation. It's a $30,000 fine. You're kicked out and you owe your student loans. Wow. And I'm like, well, what's the chance of this happening? And the guy goes, look. He said, chance of me enforcing this is slim to none. He said, but if one of the other professors comes back and says, well, her book came out, you know, they were like, this guy could, let's say one of the professors always wanted to be an author, he could make me enforce this. Hmm. And I was like, okay, then. So I said, it looks like I'm betting on red and uh, I'm not doing this. So I said, I'm going with the book. Huh. And that's how I wound up there.
2: Yeah, So wow. once again,
0: unorthodox and around the way to grandma's house. It took the long way around.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's some pretty significant roadblocks there. Um, mm-hmm. But yet again, you just, you continue to persist through and and find, find a way, which is pretty cool. So uh, I, I'm really, I, I think that the premise of the book uh, and I'll, I'll admit, I've not read the book. Um, mm-hmm. But in reading about the premise and, and kind of reading the synopsis and things like that, it's it sounds right up my alley because, and I don't just say that <laughs> because I'm interviewing mm-hmm. you. I I have always been very uh, drawn to, it doesn't have to be literally Christian, but that kind of like supernatural Christian idea of like angels and demons and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yep. But then I also really like, high fantasy like lord of the rings type stuff right Mm -hmm. and you've blended both of those genres here Mm -hmm. and kind of combined the two was there an inspiration for that did you just kind of stumble into that like how did you decide to blend these two these two things because it's not common
0: no i kind of um i'll be honest i was raised christian i was raised catholic uh my father is very catholic strict catholic uh that's why i was a little scared about telling him about this but I've always had a bit of a fascination with religion in general, Uh, but it just felt right because I wanted to take the Fae and take them out of always being from a European background Mm. and make them a little more accessible to everyone in that sense, Mm -hmm. because I thought it'd be just more interesting. And I wanted to give them that angelic feel and say, okay, because I always thought, we have all these um, these accounts in history of Egyptian gods and goddesses, Roman god and goddesses, you know, this polytheistic uh, pantheon. They had to come from somewhere. So I thought, what if they did come from one source and they branched out? So I thought, let's take it from there and branch it and show that, you know, universally it can it can be whatever you want it to be, mm. that attitude. So I thought, let's take it from one source and kind of have some fun and turn it on its head a little bit. So the idea of it all coming from one creator and yeah. that creator kind of messing up a little bit yeah. and giving birth to it, to me was just kind of interesting. So I, I played with this idea. Um, I also wanted to have uh, this scientific explanation in ways for some of the things that happened, such as the parting of the Red Sea. Yes, you stumble into a fay battle, spoiler alert, um, but it's a water spout that's being controlled by a thing, So we have a scientific explanation for the reason it parts. Mm. And, but is it, you know, at the end you can debate, well, did the creator put them in that spot or is it really the fae doing it? You know, there's a lot of um, uh, philosophical conundrums that you can kind of play with without, it was never for me to get preachy or anything. It's nothing like that at all. It's just fantasy. It's just fun to take something and spin it and let's give it a different look.
1: Yeah, I think that's super cool. Um, you mentioned playing video games with The Rock earlier. <laughs> what mm-hmm. a crazy sentence to say, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, you
0: don't think you'll say these things, you know?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> um, have you ever have you ever played or heard of the the video game franchise Diablo?
2: Though yes, yes. okay,
1: because that's probably the only other thing that I'm familiar with. And there's maybe there's other things that I, I don't know about, which is common. Um, mm-hmm. But Diablo kind of does that as well, where it blends the again, it's not specifically Christian and it doesn't, you know, you talk about the creator and that sort of stuff and it doesn't reference that quite as directly, but it's definitely angels and demons and heaven and hell blended with this high fantasy. Um, But yeah, that's, that's super cool. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, a battle scene, for example, did you find that you were influenced by your knowledge and expertise in martial arts when writing and creating these battle scenes?
0: Uh, Martial arts definitely helped me. It it kind of made battle scenes like sweeping battle scenes. I tended to pull away from the big sweeping ones and narrow in on aspects of it with more one on one because I find that I love high fantasy. Like I love Mists of Avalon, that kind of thing. But when you're doing a big battle scene, you tend to lose that intimacy Mm -hmm. because there's so much going on. It's like which horses are going over here and you've got bows and arrows and things. I wanted to get back to the infighting of what happens when you're one-on-one with an opponent. So I tended to take it from that more of a martial art um, perspective. So in the book, there's a lot of that, you know, there's that battles, but then you have those one-on-one fights of Mm. what happens when that opponent is right in front of you. How do you take it? And I wound up acting out a lot of the fighting because I wanted to see what happens when you strike? Okay, the you know if it's a strike to the head, does the head go back? Does it come forward? I wound up getting more into that. Um, I have a big fight with uh, one of the dark fae lieutenants and one of the light fae. Uh, who's they get into a fight at one of um, the light fae uh, covens, and they they get into it and it's a it's a big one on one fight. And then later on, when you have this battle at the Red Sea, you get to see the perspective of a fight. When there's somebody who maybe doesn't really want to fight, mm-hmm. it's not his, it's he doesn't feel connected to the battle. And so you kind of get that perspective as well, besides the whole sweeping things that are going on. So I did a lot of that, and that's when my martial arts really kicked in. And then, you know, you get you have a, a scene where there's a group of light fate deciding that they're going to try to ambush, and then they're planning it. And you hear a bunch of people really sitting down saying, Okay, well, I do this, and you do that you know, which I think was lacking in some of the fantasy books because it's always these big sweeping battles. Right. But you never hear of like, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. I know it might not go well. So if it doesn't, we're going to do this. I wanted to give that more intimacy, yeah, that intimate feeling. Cause I think it's lost, but um, definitely my martial arts comes in and it comes in even later on in the series, every fight scene I have sat and choreographed with someone else. Oh, wow. Where I've got weapons in my hands and I'm like, okay, come at me and let me see where this goes. (laughs) And it's either going to go really bad or it's going to go really good and I don't know. Right. And I backed up and said, do it again. And let's, you know, that's why I also have cosplayed as all my characters because I've learned like, no, these capes are too long. They never wear these capes or this braid cannot be this type. It's got to be a French braid because... If it's, you know, a single break, you're gonna get your hair pulled. And we've tried it all. And I've said, no, this, this armor doesn't work. I gotta go mm-hmm. back and redo it. Because you can't see, you can't move your head. Right. So I think um, martial arts has been a huge help in all of this, but it's pulled me away from big sweeping battles, definitely.
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting though. Uh, and I think that's a really, really cool angle because I think one of the things I find most frustrating in fantasy writing like Robert Jordan is a, a Wheel of Time is a famous fantasy series.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He is probably my least favorite <laughs> battle writer because he just makes up move names that have no explanation. It's just like, and then yes. Tom does the Raging Bull, and it's like, well, what does that like, mean? <laughs> right, exactly. And then he just strings yeah. together a series of these made-up terms that the reader has zero context for. <laughs>
0: exactly. That's. Yeah. that was it like even um even when i'm calling the elemental magic
2: yeah i've
0: used a lot of wushu moves to do it so if they're spinning their their wrists around their head it's usually from an eagle claw move or it's it's connected um in book two uh you'll see that the illuminaska which are the elite female guards to the court of light they have synchron which is their own martial art mm. and it's so that when they're fighting they can use the elements that will complement each other but it's based off of, you know, Tai Chi, it's based off of, um, you know, Wushu, it's all together. But I've sat here and practiced the moves to say, okay, if I'm gonna call fire, I'm not gonna use uh, moves that don't look like fire. They mm-hmm. have to look like it. And yeah, you know, people have asked me if av- the cartoon, you know, Avatar the Airbender has played into it, because that was very martial art, you know, yeah. uh, uh, based. And I said, some of it has, but some of it hasn't. You know, I. I've tried to look at some of the moves and thought, what looks like fire versus what looks like water? Like, yeah, Tai Chi, everybody expects Tai Chi to be water. But I'm like, when you look at it, some of it doesn't look like water. It moves more like a flame. Right. So I kind of played with that a little bit. But, you know, we definitely, I definitely have it. And I've pushed it through the books to make it make sense. Because it's almost like um, if you've ever seen, I'm sure you've seen The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. All right. Any of Christopher Nolan's, I mean, they're amazing. But when you watch Christian Bale fight as Batman, half the times it's a cape spinning around. Right. And you're looking going, what the hell did he just do? Okay, I think that was a fist. (laughs) All right, I think he did this. And you're looking like, I want to see Batman fight. Yeah. Whereas Zack Snyder's Batman, you could actually see Batman fight. Mm. I want to see you fight. So when I write fight scenes, I think of, if I was watching this, I want to see you throw the punch. I want to see you throw the kick. I want to see the sword. So I'm looking at it more from that perspective than just a bunch of hands going around.
1: Right, right. No, I think that makes perfect sense and yeah, I I would actually say cuz you know, I really the dark knight as with everyone else the the Joker character and performance in that movie is amazing. What sells it, but yeah, the Batman fight scenes are actually not very impressive. Uh it he just kind of punches and they're not even it's not even like good boxing punches. No. It's just <laughs>
0: He's it's just flail and a lot of them were shot
2: from above. Yeah. So you're just seeing
0: ears and a cape. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, okay. Thank, appreciate it." But, you know, when you compare it to Zack Snyder, and let's let's all be honest, the Snyder cut of the Justice League. I'm talking here, people. So don't don't come for me. Talking the Snyder cut, restore the <laughs> Snyderverse. That's the version I want. Right. I want that backflip. Yeah. You know, I don't want the other one. I don't want this one. <laughs> so, you know, that's where I'm talking, where you're looking at him going, okay, he can, you know, that's like when you watch Thor. Thor should not be throwing a step-up sidekick. That's perfect. I want a haymaker out of Thor. Right. I don't want martial art moves out of Thor.
1: Right. Yeah, because when did he practice? He's a, he's... An all powerful god thing. He's not. He's a Viking
0: type <laughs> right. dude. I don't want him sitting there being like, okay, so you're going to jab and pull that jab and make sure that it's right back to the face. worry are you
1: worried about that? Right. He shoots lightning. <laughs> yeah, I, I
0: want a haymaker out of Thor, you
2: know?
0: I want to kick the door, Kung Fu style, kick the door down Thor, going through about five people like Ragnarok. Right. And at the end, when he goes through, when he's back on the Rainbow Bridge, you're like, okay, this man knows how to fight, but it's like a brawl. Right. That's the stuff you want to see out of your fight scenes. Like it has to match the character and you want to see it. Yeah. So when I fight, when I do my fight scenes, it's more to match the characters. Right. So when you're reading it, that's what you can, you can kind of envision it.
1: In reading about it, I, I kind mm-hmm. of gathered that while it is a conflict between the the dark fae and the light fae,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that perhaps the reader ends up being somewhat sympathetic or can at least find sympathetic views for both sides. Is that, Definitely. is that an
2: accurate? Yes. Okay.
0: I didn't want to, um, I'm not painting either side right or wrong because it's almost like, I'm sure we've all had two friends who are arguing and you're looking at them like, okay we watched the same argument happen but that's kind of not the way it went down
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you're like if the two of you would just talk this whole thing would get figured out <laughs> like you know you ever just sit there and you're almost like it's an awkward things you're watching them yell at each other like oh no that, don't say that darn it that's kind of what this argument is yeah the same thing happened to both of them but both groups feel they're, they've been wronged by the other one
2: Mm.
0: And they're looking for somebody to blame instead of just turning to her daddy saying, you got issues, they just want to, they don't want to deal with those. So they'd rather just fight with each other. And that's part of it. Um, Ultimately in this year, in this book, in book one, King Jarbok and the Dark Fae, a little more in the wrong, a little more than, but you tend to understand where he's coming from because you can look at him and go, okay, yeah, I'd be a little pissed too. Right. You know, he, he got the fuzzy end of the lollipop. You <laughs> know not, that's the best, not heard that one before. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way you can look at him, where you're going, oh, ouch, okay, yeah. So he's, he's, he's almost like a company man who lost the 401k for no reason one day. Right. And he doesn't know why. And you're kind of looking at Aurora going, okay, you got a little more than I did. You got your 401k. Maybe it's not what it was, but you got something out of it. Or you at least got your pink slip. Mm -hmm. I didn't even get that. You can go collect unemployment benefits. Right. So they kind of can't see eye to eye. And they both need to come to an understanding. It's nature versus nurture on a a lot of levels. And they both have daddy issues. I mean, it's angels with daddy issues, which I don't think anybody's ever really done. Yeah. (laughs) And that's really what this is, is they're both pouting. And instead of just coming together they're both like it's your fault no it's your fault and you're just like oh god can you two just deal with it right but in the same time now they have populated with with fey that were not born of the shining kingdom so some of them are here now on earth going well i don't know about the shining kingdom thing and i don't know why you guys are fighting
2: mm. so
0: there's another faction that are sitting back going uh wh- why are we arguing again right so that starts to play into all of this too and It's also, what do you do when you're hurt? Some people get angry. Some people want to help everybody else. Mm. And we all know people like this.
1: Right. Well, I think it's really, I just think it's a, and and that's the reason I wanted to bring it up and highlight that, uh, that fact of, of this book is that, you know, when I first read Game of Thrones or Song Mm -hmm. of Ice and Fire, but one of the most popular fantasy, you know, especially since Mm -hmm. the TV series. The thing that stuck out to me about that was that was the first time I had ever read something where there wasn't just an overarching like evil presence that's Mm -hmm. just evil for the sake of being evil. Like in Lord of the Rings, you have Sauron that's just the evil eye that no one understands why he's evil. That's just his nature, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought it was so fascinating in Game of Thrones. And so I think it's a really interesting angle for you to take with this as well, because I think it's honestly just a lot more... Um, I don't know if realistic is the right word to use, but or thoughtful, I don't know. But it, it's just a lot more rich to me version of conflict when both sides could be sympathetic in some way. And like you said, maybe the, the Dark Fae in this example, or this, you know, this first book are a little more on the wrong side, but it's still not like, they're not just waking up to like the Joker we mentioned to watch the world burn, right? Like there's yes. some point to what they're trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that's super that's super awesome.
0: Thank you. Yeah, they're, they could, they could choose to be evil, but they're they don't even see what they're doing as evil. They're looking at it as they just want they want answers, but they have their reasons. And just like the life they have their reasons. Everybody has a reason for it. They're not waking up to say, I just want to be evil. Right. There's no, that's not what they're doing at all. So they even, I mean, I have a chapter called empathy for the devil where they even sit and start to debate Lucifer Mm. because they're even sitting back going, you know, we were told these things about Lucifer, but at the end of the day, he took his horde back to hell and we're locked out. Wait a minute. Maybe that's not even true. Like they start really kind of saying maybe everything we're being told isn't true about life. So there's a lot to it, there's layers to it, and I think the biggest thing is, you know, I, I, somebody called it one of the reviews was it's a study of POV and humanity. And I said, it, you know, I kind of agree in that sense in that we all know people like that. Yeah. I wrote it, I pulled because I'm not classically trained. Let's be honest, I'm not. <laughs> um, everybody in there is somebody I know. Yeah, you know, Hoggle the metal gnome is my father, because my dad uh, builds motorcycles. So, okay, he's, you know, it's yeah. an easy one. Uh, Lady Serena, Aurora's best friend is my best friend from high school, Jen. Everything in there is somebody I know. It's all interpersonal dynamics. So I think anybody who reads it, uh, and once again, not saying the book is for everybody, but you can kind of pull somebody you know and say, yeah, I kind of know a person like that. So that's why I think it's, it's one of those books where even if it's not your cup of tea, You can kind of relate to somebody. You know, we all know a King Jarvok, a brooding guy who's got a chip on his shoulder and feels the world has wronged him in some way. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: We all know somebody like that. I mean, hell, I can think 10 people (laughs) like that on my head, you know? Um, A Queen Aurora, you you all have somebody out there who wants to do the right thing, is trying to do the right thing to the point where you want to look at her and go, can you stop being so damn cheerful? Mm -hmm. But inside she's crying. And she's literally right after she's done giving you that pep talk, she's literally got the door closed and she's crying on the other side of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Cause she's like, God, I, I shouldn't be doing this. Like, what, what the hell am I doing? Right. There's all these type of people in your life. Um, you know, Desdemona is her her bodyguard and her backup. And she's right behind her going, just breathe. But inside, she's like, I'd rather be feared than loved. We know all these people, and that's part of it. Nobody's inherently evil. Nobody's inherently good. They're just trying to survive. Yep. And I think even after COVID and everything we've been through, we can all relate to just trying to get through.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, so you're talking a lot about pulling from you know your own experiences and, and people in your own life. Did you find yourself doing any research at all for this? I mean, I know it's a fantasy book, not a, a hard uh-huh. uh, anything, but um, nonfiction or anything. But did you find yourself doing any research at all, like into the religions or anything like that? Really?
0: tons I it's I think it's a common myth that a lot of people think oh if you do fiction you just pull it out and that's (laughs) it you know it's all from the top of your head right uh I did I did a lot of religious research Mm. to make sure that uh the virtue angels were actually angels in the Christian hierarchy so the power brigade I obviously made up but getting uh the Christian text correct you know the stuff that I did use getting the quotes correct uh, the biggest Research I did were on my dragons. Mm. My dragons, I had to make sure they were plausible. Um, I've used this metaphor before that if I was on Mythbusters, I wanted my dragons to be plausible. <laughs>
1: That's
2: I awesome. did not
0: want them to be busted. Um, right. So I built them from the digestive system out wow. first. So oh, I didn't want to just have fire breathers. I knew that because you know, dragons are fantasy vernacular. We mm-hmm. all you know that's something you just you, if you can do a fantasy book you gotta have a fire breathing dragon
2: that's kind of <laughs> what
0: you do um, so I knew I wanted fire breathers then I came up with the idea for a- uh, acid and ice but my ice breathers have tusks mm. so I sat there thinking I don't want bone tusks I want to make them cartilage these geometric things that dilate and compress so I looked into how people make these nitrous um, oxa uh, these nitrous um, compressors at home. And thought about it, then went through my acid breathers and looked at like lizards, with fistulas, did all this, and was like, okay. Went to my vet and said, I have this idea for dragons, and I need them to breathe fire, ice, or acid. And he just looked at me and he went, what? <laughs> and I'm like, I have bacteria. I showed him all the bacteria that I had, and said, this gives off this, this gives off that. This is what I want to do, and then showed them the delivery systems that I had drawn up. And I, he just looked at me. He went in a weird way, he goes, this will actually somewhat work on this level. And so once we did that, I then went to Westchester Community College, spoke with the engineering and physics department and said, I have to get them to fly. I'm going to base it off the albatross theory of thermal gliding. How do I do this? Mm. Here's my measurements. They cannot be the size of 747s. They have to carry a fey. And the guy looked right at me and went, they got to carry a what? And luckily, he was a Game of Thrones fan hey, nice! <laughs> and a Tolkien fan. So he got it. And I said, I can't have them too big, but I want them to glide. They're not taking off like Superman. And he said, I appreciate that so much. <laughs> and so we, he made that the midterm exam. So all the kids had to present, how do you get these dragons to fly? And can they fly? Some said, no, they can't. Some, I had three groups that were like, no, we can get these things to fly. And that's what we did. And I made sure these dragons could fly because I wanted the dragons to not be a weapon of just mass destruction or a pet. Yeah. I needed them to have their own society. So once I could get them physiologically and anatomically correct, I then worked their system out and I found phenomenal illustrator, Pandy Van brought everything to her. And I said, now I need you to draw them. So I gave her a picture of my Yorkie (laughs) <laughs> and said, yeah, I know. <laughs> Gave her a picture of my Yorkie, Carlos, who's nine pounds. And I said, I need you to draw him like a dragon. He's my only chameleon dragon. Went through the research on how chameleons change color. I said, I need to make this work. She drew Carlos first. And then we drew uh, we drew our main dragons, Yonka, Dragor, and Raycor. And I said, this is my core group. And I drew my four dragons and I said, now that I have my characters, we can now start moving it. But all of the mythical creatures were all drawn first. Oh wow. So even my, my other dog, my Chewini Penelope, was drawn as a white deer from the Aubane faction. And once I had them drawn, I was like, now I've got something to work with.
1: Yeah. That's but awesome. they
0: all had to work. You know, physiologically, they had to they had to make sense.
1: Yeah. Well, what it reminds me of there's in science fiction writing, there's a a, a type of it called hard science fiction where the science is like based in yes. real science. It almost sounds like this is like kind of hard fantasy for <laughs> lack of a
0: better yeah, way to it, say it. Yes, that's exactly. I had to kind of, yeah. you know, I had to do all the research on crystals. You know, why is it a kyanite armor versus a tourmaline armor that the dark phase? I had to go through and really make sure the angelite discs and That all had to work because in my head, I didn't want to always just use the excuse. Oh, it's magic. Oh, it's magic. Right. That just doesn't wash with me. I was like, that's, I had heard that term too much. Yeah. And it bothered me. There was a book called the science of X-Men that came out years and years ago that explained, you know, why a certain amount of mutant babies survive, why they don't, you know, how, how many calories Cyclops burns every time he uses an optic blast. And I thought it was so smart Yeah. that I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I want. Like, how does this work? Because to me, it makes it all tangible and realistic for a fantasy writer. Like, I didn't want it to always be, oh, it's just magic. Oh, she just does it this way. Yeah. No, like, why does a dragon fly? All right, they'll come for me anyway. I'm sure. I'm sure people are like, oh, going by those measurements, it won't work. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, but you know, I don't want Neil Tyson, Grassy, whatever, you know, right. coming for me because he's going to come anyway. And right. yes, I got it. You're smarter. I know, I know, <laughs> but I wanted to at least put the effort forward. Yeah. So you know, yeah, I, I got a dragon. You know, based off a nine-pound Yorkie. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, shoot me. Right. But it works. So I did. I did tons of research. For book two, takes place um, at the end of King Henry Eighth into uh, Queen uh, Mary's first reign. I took protocol classes on Tudor, on how they eat, how they bathe. <laughs> I've done so much research. I could go back and live in Tudor era. Not that I want to. Right. <laughs> Not that I want to.
1: Well, Danielle, I got to say, uh, it, it sounds like one of the, one of the more thoughtful approaches to, uh, to writing that I, that I've ever heard. Um, I think it's super cool that you put that amount of effort into, into your story and into not just, you know, not just the battles, right? Like, obviously that's good. Cause you've got this martial arts background, but mm-hmm. over and over again, there's just all of this extra work that you're putting into really building out, um, a really great story. I, I know we're short on time, so I, I, mm-hmm. I could probably talk to you for another two hours if we had it. Um, but where you know you've, you've mentioned a few times that there's at least a second book coming. Where mm-hmm. should people be, be following you? I mean, obviously I'll have links in the show notes for people to buy the first book, but where should they be following you to, to keep up for when the second book is going to come out and, and beyond that?
0: Uh, best place to follow me is on Instagram at Birth of the Fay underscore novel. and then okay. you can always look me up on birth fay.com. Those are the best places uh, we're working on when the second book is going to come out. We're talking about a possible graphic novel. Nice. And then uh yeah, I'd love to do graphic novel. That's that's awesome. We're doing an audiobook with Skyboat Media. That drops August 10th. And let me tell you, when you hear Stefan do Jarvok, you will stop dead in your tracks. It's already available for pre-order on Audible and on Amazon. And I'm really excited about the audiobook because that's kind of been a dream of mine. I love audiobooks. And uh, you know, we got some other things in the works. I've had a lot of people ask me if an anime is coming. We're working on it. We'd love to do an anime because once again, you know, yeah, um, that's from a geeky perspective, animation.
2: Yeah. That'd be awesome.
0: So, you know, we got a couple things in the fires, but, um, you know, you never know, video games, things like that. I've had people ask about, you never know. The dragons can always come around.
2: Right.
1: Right. Awesome. Well, Danielle, I really appreciate your time this evening. Uh, Again, I'll have links in the show notes for, for all that stuff for people to follow you. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
0: Anytime. I'd love to come back and we can geek out some more.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
0: Thank you so much.
3: Lifting the wind Over signs dying in the grass or Mothers, fathers and lifelong friends become layers of the mountains past Our castles came crashing down and Stone by stone they fell to the ground water eaten by her
1: right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much to Danielle Rossino for stopping by. Again, her novel is Birth of the Fae, Locked Out of Heaven, which I'll have a link for in the show notes. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And of course, last but not least, thank you, listener. I'd also like to invite you to check out my other podcasts, Pick Up Your Sticks, which I co-host with Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games where we talk about why gaming matters, and you can find it on any podcast app. I also co-host The Crowfall Podcast with Chris Crabtree. The Crowfall Podcast is about the recently released MMO of the same name and can also be found on all podcast apps. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. Have a great week. Stay up.